morning. Welcome to Bethel and welcome to Family Church again. You guys can be seated. Hope you guys, are you having a good week? Did you have a good week? Things going good? I'm on day nine of no sugar, no wheat, no soy, no dairy, no legumes, no fun, right? And so you're warned and pray for Ray because I've been a little irritable this week. And so how are you guys doing with your New Year's plans, your goals? Is everybody doing good? Still January, we're doing pretty good. Bible reading plans. Ray and I just finished a plan called Conflict and Marriage, like how to resolve conflict. And our biggest conflict right now is that I can't find any of my hair ties. And he needs one today. I should have had one in my pocket. It's out of control, people. And um, the wind doesn't help, right? This Oklahoma wind has his hair blowing all over the place. And is it is it worse now, like the Oklahoma wind? like, Or is it just the lack of sugar that's making it seem so horrible? How many of you are actually from Oklahoma? Like you're like, I grew up here. This is my state. So you're used to the wind, right? Is it worse? I feel like it's worse. I don't know. Um, well, I find this week I've been thinking a lot about our state song, you know, the wind comes sweeping down the plain. And so, yeah, we got that. And my sister's probably in the back there singing it. So, but it's good to have you guys today. Um, I'm curious, uh, today Ray's going to be talking about citizenship. And so how many of you guys have had the opportunity to travel outside of our country and into, oh, a lot of people, yeah, I highly recommend it. It, it is so good to go to another country, a, a place that's different than what you're used to, out of your comfort zone, and see what's important to them and how they live and see the differences. And so if you're here today and you're out of your comfort zone and you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you came. Whether it's online or in person, we would love to connect with you. And the best way to do that is to go online at mybethel.cc connect and fill out a connection card. And it has your name and information so we can find you this week and just see how we can better serve you. We won't find you. We'll just contact you. Promise we won't come to your door. And uh, just see how we can love on you and how we can help you out through this week. So now we're going to get started. We're um, continuing in alignment series and going through Philippians. Today we're going to be talking about where is our citizenship. So let's get going. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Welcome, Family Church. Can you hear me? Is it on? Check, check, one, two. Yes? All right. Uh, Family Church, Bethel Community Church. Um, I stopped praying that Pastor Woody would get his permits, so it's been a great few weeks, so sorry about that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We want you guys to be able to get uh, into your place and be able to make a difference there, and we have partners on the other side of town. It's awesome. Um, so I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning, and I want you to say, are you ready? Turn to the other side. Are you ready? Are you ready for a haircut? No, I'm not ready for a haircut yet. Just anyway. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. It's got a little out of control. I'll blame the wind. You know, I'll blame the wind. Chrissy's like, I think it's more windy than ever. And I was like, it's Oklahoma. That's kind of what it is. You know, that's what it means. I can't imagine what it's like not to have wind. It's crazy. But this morning, we're going to continue in the uh, citizenship, or sorry, the, the alignment series. And I don't know if you've ever heard this. Maybe you used it if you're a parent. Um, were you born in a barn? Anybody ever say that or hear that? Okay, if you're older, it's kind of a thing. Um, if I say it to my daughter, are you born in a barn? She's like, no, Dad, I was actually born in the jungle. <laughs> and um, 
So if you know my daughter, she actually was born in the jungle. So uh, she was, uh, first six weeks of her life was in a thatched roof in a hammock. Um, the only clothes she had was banana leaves. And so she can say, yeah, dad, I was born in the jungle. Um, but when we hear that, the, the reason it comes to our mind is that we actually think about birthplace and birthright, and it kind of gives us our citizenship. It gives us our, our actual paperwork. And so my daughter has a unique story because she has several citizenships. Uh, she was born in the jungles of Panama as a Kuna, a native Central American, but then she was born within the country of Panama, so she has a Panamanian citizenship. When we finally got her adoption done, legally getting the paperwork stamped and, and all approved, it took us several years. Um, she became a citizen of the United States several years after that, because there's a lot of things you got to jump through. And then when she was uh, five years old, she became a citizen of Costa Rica, and so she has three different citizenships. She has uh, her Panamanian citizenship, she has Costa Rican citizenship, and she has American citizenship. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I don't know what God's going to do with her life, but there's actually responsibility that comes with citizenship. And so, and that wasn't her choice. She didn't choose all that stuff. That was just something that Christy and I chose, and then God chose by placing her in Panama. She also has two different other, like other citizenships that are, don't have paperwork, uh, that are kind of invisible. One of them is being a Kuna Indian of Native American, Native Central American, she has actually rights as a Kuna native born there by blood. And so she has no paperwork to back that up, but she has actually um, rights on the islands. And so if she ever went back, she actually has. They transfer land through the woman. And so she can actually own land there. I can't, but she can. And so that's one. And then uh, this last year, she became a citizen of heaven by asking Jesus to come into her life and to change her life and follow him. And so that is awesome. What does it mean to have citizenship? Like people ask me, Ray, where are you from? And I, I always ask them, I always answer, I don't know. Because this right here says that I was born in California, in LA. And so it's like, okay, so am I from California? It really depends on who I'm talking to, <laughs> who I tell them if I'm there or not. You know, some people are like, no way, I'm not from there. So, but it's like, so I was born in California. My parents lived there from the time I was zero to six weeks. So am I from California? And then they moved to New Mexico. So am I from New Mexico? And then they became uh, missionaries in Central America. Am I from Central America? I don't know. I don't know where I'm from, but I do have citizenship, which is of the United States of America. So I was born here in the States, and I have citizenship through the United States. But about 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, um, I've lived the majority of my life out of the country. Uh, I lived in Costa Rica, Central America. The majority, the most of my life has been there. And so about 10, 12 years ago, I went on this journey to become a Costa Rican citizen. And so I have this other piece of paper that actually says that on the, let's see, March 22nd of 2012, I became a citizen of Costa Rica, Central America. And so what that does, that gives me the, some rights. I've got here in my... In my cool little, you know, passport holder, um, it says, I'm Tico, which if you are speak Spanish, you know what that means. If you don't, that's okay. But uh, I'm Costa Rican, so I have my American passport. So in here, you know, I, I have rights. I can come in and out of the country through this passport. And then this one is my Costa Rican passport. I can go in and out of that country and other countries based on this. There's some countries that I can get into with my Costa Rican one that I can't get into with my American one. And so depending on where I'm at and where I'm going, I pull out the document I need. Now, if I'm in Costa Rica and I say, no, 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 I'm an American, and I pull it out, they don't care. They say, no, you're, you're a Costa Rican, so we're going to be judging you by Costa Rican standards. If I'm here in the States and I get pulled over by an officer and I pull out my Costa Rican passport and my, my, my driver's license, they're like, what is that? They don't recognize it. And so I think a lot of us treat our heavenly citizenship exactly like we treat our nationality. We say, oh, I was born into a Christian family. 
I grew up in a Christian country, therefore I'm Christian. But actually, the citizenship of heaven, the, the thing that Paul is going to talk about that we're going to see in Philippians chapter 1, is something far different than what we do and how we treat our American citizenship. And actually, right now in our country, probably more than ever, it is extremely divisive, extremely polarizing how we approach our rights and our citizenship. And I think what this morning, what Paul is reminding us and what he wants to remind us as we walk through this passage is that it does not matter where you were born or what paperwork you have. We actually have a citizenship that is far greater than that and is far more important than that. And it all comes down to who we're serving. So my citizenship in Costa Rica versus Lily's, she had no choice in the matter. And she may someday go out and, and reverse and re, reject those citizenships and choose one. But I came into Costa Rica by choice. The American, uh, sorry, the Christian citizenship has to do with choice, not inheritance. Every person has to apply. Every person has to walk through the door of Jesus on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It is not an automatic thing. It is something that as our kids grow, we want them to meet Jesus. That we don't want them to know about Jesus and what we believe. We want them to actually encounter and meet Jesus. And so we have to change our lives and align our lives that way. So what does this have to do with alignment? What does this have to do with our topic? We're going to look at uh, the last part of Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to discuss that when we look at Scripture, when we dig into Scripture, we actually have to reflect on what does Scripture say, and is my life lined up with Scripture? Not where I was born, my past, my history, the, the experiences I've had. No, it's actually what is my life compared to Scripture. And when we approach Scripture the way that God wants us to, we will actually have a divine adjustment, okay? He's, it's like a divine chiropractor that just snaps you back into shape because we are really good at sharing our opinions, our preferences, our likes and dislikes, we treat the Bible like Facebook where I can do a thumbs up or thumbs down, and that's not how we're supposed to approach Scripture. We're supposed to approach Scripture by saying, okay, this is God's Word. God breathed it. It's there for a reason, and I need to match my life up to and then adjust accordingly, not adjust Scripture to what I want, okay? So this morning, we're going to dig in. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to think about this alignment of our life. And so if you hear something today that seems out of alignment, Let's yield to Scripture, not our preference. So the framework that we're looking through in this series is approaching Scripture as a divine chiropractor. So let's go. First, I want to pray for you. Pray over Scripture that God would use this to, to change our hearts and that we would leave different with a different thought than when we came in this morning. Let's pray. God, this morning as we quiet ourselves and get ready to receive what you have for us, I know that I am imperfect. And I know that I can sometimes say what I want to say, but my prayer is, God, this morning that you would use me to clearly express your word and that we would all come into alignment with what scripture has for us this morning. That our citizenship is based on something greater and far more important than what paperwork we have in our pocket. That Jesus, you came and you drew all men to yourself as you were lifted up on the cross. And then as you rose from the dead, you gave all of us the power to become your children. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. Today, as we read what Paul wrote the church in Philippi, I pray that we would see the application to our life. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Let's go Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. If you have your smartphone, you can go to the Bible app. There's a, an event tab. You can actually look at the event tab on the Bible app. And then if you have your actual Bible, there's a few things you may want to highlight and underline and take notes on. So let's, let's dig in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says this right here. It says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again, or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. And so Paul starts this discourse at the end of his letter, but it all relates to the previous uh, teaching that he has been writing, this friendly letter to the church at Philippi. He actually starts with, the, or he ends with the, the marks of citizenship, the rights of citizenship. He actually clarifies our identity in Jesus, our responsibility to align with Scripture, with him. And so Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a Jewish man that had Jewish citizenship. He also was a Roman citizen in the time of the Roman Empire. And he used this over and over again to actually have benefits rights, and also he sometimes didn't fall under it so that he could share the gospel. And so a lot of times we think, oh, I need to write, reject my American citizenship to follow Jesus. That's not the teaching that Paul has. Actually, if you look at Acts chapter 16, the very time that he went to Philippi to plant this church that he was writing to, he got thrown into prison, he got beat, he got in trouble for doing nothing, and then when they released him and they said, it's all good, he said, oh no, I'm a Roman citizen and you threw me in prison without a trial. Me and Silas are actually part of Rome. This freaked him out. So he knew how to use his citizenship for good. He wasn't rejecting it. He actually said, you know what? You will understand this as he's writing the, the, the church in Philippi because the, the, the colony of Philippi was founded by Roman centurions, Roman, um, they were actually military guys. They were given this town as an offering from the emperor. And so if you think about this, he was writing to a church that understood a thing or two about citizenship and the value of being a part of the Roman Empire. And yet he said, listen, you need to be a citizen of heaven, something far greater than you're actually thinking about in this earthly world. It says in verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Then he continues kind of this code of conduct, conducting yourself in a matter, matter worthy of the good news about Christ. Okay? In our current, current national conversation, it is a very, very difficult thing to talk with someone and your neighbors and your friends and your family about politics because it's so divisive. Followers of Jesus need to remember that we're called to live and remember that we're called to live in a different kingdom that has a far different ruler and a far different king. It's actually King Jesus. And we're supposed to live ourselves in a manner worthy of the king, Jesus, not our personal preference in politics. Most of us, actually, if we really got down to it and we're honest and transparent, will disagree about politics and how to go about change. But one of all of us can actually agree that what unites us and what brings us together is Jesus. He is the great unifier of our day. That's why we can gather this morning two different churches in our community, different backgrounds, different experiences, different denominations, and actually under Jesus, King Jesus, we can do something different. I think it would be easier if we could 
somehow identify ourselves when we step into being a citizen of heaven. It's almost like, okay, I'm lost, and now I know Jesus, and then as soon as I, like, give my life to Jesus, it's like this, the heavens open up, and this golden paper comes down, oh, and we grab it, and it's like, oh, I'm a citizen of heaven now, you know? I think that would be easier. That's what we want. But actually, Scripture says, you know what? There's some things that identify you. Love, unity, mutual, mutual submission. It, it's amazing how the citizenship of heaven, we want to actually do it the same way, but Jesus does something different. The thing that I see in this verse 27 is that a citizen of heaven knows it. How have, you, have you ever talked to somebody that you're like, hey, do you know Jesus? Are you going to go to heaven someday? I hope so. I hope I make it. I'm living my life the best way I can so that I can actually stand before God and say, hey, I did enough. Actually, a citizen of heaven knows. It's not like you're walking around saying, I wonder where, my, I wonder where I'm from. I wonder what my paperwork says. No, I mean, if you went down to the DMV and you're, you got your passport or whatever you did, you know you're a citizen. And that's exactly what happens in the relationship as a Christian is that we understand that we know because Scripture clearly, clearly identifies us. God actually opens up the citizenship of heaven to all, and then we choose. All are invited, and yet we choose to accept. We choose to follow. We know we're a part of it. We pursue it, and we actively live in it. And the citizenship brings this responsibility. If you keep reading there, it says to conduct yourself in a manner worthy. This word worthy is like a comparison. Are you living how Scripture says that you should live? And a lot of people approach the Christian life and they're like, eh, it's just a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts and it's so, so much like that I don't really want to do. Actually, if you are a citizen of heaven, you study Scripture and you're like, this is the desire of my heart to live this way and is it reflecting what Scripture says? The, the Greek word is axios. It's kind of like an axiom if you, if you have a leveraging point and you have this one point that I leverage my life on, which is Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, then I can leverage the rest of my life on this point. Nothing else matters. It's just what Jesus does. It's actually weight of another thing of like value. I can measure myself up against Jesus. So measuring myself allows me to see if I'm on the right path. It's an evaluation. It's personal awareness. There's things to consider. A citizen of heaven understands that without the king, they're lost. Without Jesus' forgiveness, they're lost. Jesus came and he said, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. So understanding that we're a sinner, that's like the first thing. It's like, okay, so I've tried, and I always miss the mark. I've tried, and yet I fail every time. And so knowing that you're not inherently a good person, you were not born good. You weren't good, born with any good motivation or intention. All of it is course correction. Your parents either got onto you or whooped you or gave you rewards to act right. But in your heart, oh, you, if you could see your heart, sometimes your kid's heart comes out. You can see it right there on their face. We're all born separated from God because of our own sin. It's no one's fault. It's mine. So a measurement tool is to say, okay, so how do I evaluate my life? Do I think I'm good enough to get into heaven by myself? Or do I say, ooh, I'm not good? And then I realize that I will pursue and pursue and pursue and never measure up but my value and my worth was settled on the cross and the power of the cross was finished in the resurrection. And so Jesus died on the cross and I realized that my value is actually there and when he rose from the dead, he gave me power to live exactly like he lives. And so I don't have to worry, am I in or am I not? No, Jesus said he finished the work. It is finished on the cross when he gave his life. 
So you actually are a citizen of heaven. If you said yes to Jesus, you became a citizen there because he bought you with the ultimate price, his death, the blood that was shed. And so throughout scripture, we see this narrative and you can go to Hebrews, you can go to the, the, the original Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and you can look through it. You can say, okay, so people were looking for a country that wasn't their own. You know, the Israelites went to the promised land and they thought they were going to be happy there and they realized we're just as lost here as anywhere else. A lot of people tie relationship with God with geography. It has nothing to do with that. We see that people were looking for a new country. They were searching for a better home and they never quite landed in the right place. So our heavenly citizenship has nothing to do with geography. I'm not a better Christian because I live in America. I'm not a worse Christian because I live in America. We've been all over, the, all over the world, different places, and you can find Jesus in remote villages where there's no modern conveniences. And they're just as much citizen of heaven as we claim to be. Citizenship of heaven has nothing to do with a political party. It has nothing to do with ideology. It has nothing to do with preference. It has to do with one thing. And this one thing is King Jesus. That's it. There's no other benchmark. There's no other entry point. There's no other thing you have to do except Jesus. He's the entry point to be the king or the, the citizen of heaven. Paul continues to write right here in the second half of verse 27. He says, Whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for, for the faith, which is the good news. I see here that the citizen of heaven actually is united with other citizens. We come together with other people that we have nothing in common. First time I met Pastor Woody, it was in a parking lot four years ago, no, three years ago, however long ago, and it was freezing cold. And I was just thinking, man, would he just shut up? I need to leave. No, I'm just kidding. He's probably saying that about me. <laughs> would he just shut up and he needs to leave? I found like this kindred brother because we both ramble a lot. So we're sitting in the parking lot freezing and there was an immediate draw that the Spirit of God lives in him and the Spirit of God lives in me and that's what united us. It had nothing to do with where we were from, our likes or dislikes, nothing. It had to do with Jesus. That's what brought us together. And then all these years later, who would have thought that we'd be sitting here now, Pastor Woody? Man, only God could have orchestrated that. We were talking before service. God kind of kicked us into it when we were thinking we should do it and then God's like, you're going to have to do it now. And that's gonna, it's been amazing. A citizen in heaven is united with other citizens. I want you to think about this. Jesus walked this earth and he didn't just call 12 men that all look the same. He actually called a, a zealot, a political zealot that wanted to overthrow the government. He called him as a disciple. He called a bunch of dysfunctional uh, sailors, fishermen, that actually flunked out of rabbinical school. Then he called this tax collector that worked for the government that the zealot was trying to overflow, oh, to overthrow. And then he called a bunch of misfits together and he said, follow me. He didn't say, follow me if you line up this way. He said, follow me, and they all followed him. Can you imagine the conversations they had around the campfire? I mean, amazing. They were all different, and yet the one thing that brought them together was Jesus, and every single one of them, outside of one, gave their life to death for this man called Jesus. That's being a citizen of heaven to live beyond ourselves. I guarantee you the religious zealot or the political zealot still wanted to overthrow the government. And I guarantee you the tax collector was like, dang, I really like that money I was getting because of that. I guarantee you they were still human, but they identified with something far greater. So what identifies you? What calls you together in unity with the people around you? Is it simple politics or is it actual being, actually being a citizen of heaven? I read a stat that's terrible that most parents would be more upset if their kids married someone from an opposing political party than a person that had other religious beliefs. Man, that's terrible. What are we doing? 
Let's realize that there's something else that unites us, which is Jesus. That's the thing that brings us together. These people lived unified. The world is so disunified. We need men and women that love unity. Unified under the Spirit of God, unified in purpose and mission, and unified in faith through Jesus. It says here, fighting together. I think a lot of us misread that. Fighting against? No, that's not what it says. It says actually fighting together. That means locking arms with one another and say our common purpose is that Jesus be elevated. That's fighting together. A mark of a healthy church is unity. A dysfunctional church fights over silly things like the color carpet and paint. You guys are about to get into building family church. Hopefully there was no fights going into that. Maybe behind the scenes there was some, but hopefully the church unified and said, praise God, we have a place we can gather and worship. And if this thing burned down tomorrow, we'd still be together in unity. Right? Verse 28, don't be intimidated by any, in any way by your enemies. This hair is getting cut this week, guys. <laughs> don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. And so I see here that a citizen of heaven lives fearlessly. I'm not talking about being a jerk or being brash or being ego-driven. I'm actually talking about someone that knows the end of the story and lives confidently knowing that the end, Jesus wins, and I'm aligning myself with him. It's actually knowing and living confidently that I trust God. The evidence of the goodness of God is all around us, and we live in confidence of the reality of God and live with fear to him, not man. Living in fear of him and what he has done, not to the circumstances around us. Verse 29, it says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Most of us don't think of those things, two things together. Privilege of trusting and privilege of suffering. Can I have the trusting without the suffering? That's what we want. And actually over and over again in Scripture, we see that suffering almost is more than anything else. Because when I align myself with Jesus, it's actually different. So a citizen of heaven experiences suffering. Sorry. Yes, experiences suffering. Can you imagine the sales pitch? We'd love for you to be a part of the family of Christ. You'll deal with fear, temptations, trials, heartaches. You'll need to deny yourself and love difficult people. You'll be hated for doing right. You'll be attacked for no good reason, mistreated, simply for following the king and denied basic human rights for his name. You will suffer terrible suffering. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Who's in? Here's the thing is we sell something different. And if you've bought a different Jesus... You bought a fake. Because Jesus said, people will hate me, they're going to hate you. John 15. Jesus said, even family will turn against you. Matthew 10. Jesus said, even the world will look at you and say, you're nuts. Over and over again, we see this theme of suffering and people that understood what Jesus was calling them to do actually live for something eternal And the purpose in this life is beyond what we see and experience today. Our purpose, our our response in suffering actually reveals the depth of our faith and that we're standing on the real Jesus, not in one that we were sold. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, I read this quote from Kerry Newoff, and it was just in some comments. He didn't even, it wasn't even a blog. It was just, the church is almost always at its healthiest. He's a pastor in Canada. It says, and the strongest went underground or persecuted. So we really have nothing to fear. Love, life, hope, and Christ find a way regardless of laws. The Western church is addicted to privileges much of the rest of the world does not know. 
and much of history does not know. So as Christendom dies, the church will change, and we will become more New Testament. Here's the truth. No one grows without testing and persecution. No one. Your faith cannot grow without being put into the test and persecuted. And this reminds us that a citizen of heaven actually transcends everything they can see in the physical world, and we understand that everything we do resonates in eternity. Everything we do affects eternity. Everything we do has a spiritual and an eternal implication. Everything we do matters when it's done for the king. So in the first part of the letter, he sets the stage for the rest of the book. He says, listen, God began a work in you, and he's going to complete it. He says that we're appointed for this time. This is your assignment right now. He also says that you need to be living for someone, not something. Live for Jesus. And then he tells us our identity as citizens of heaven. You know, there's an incredible value of being a citizen of heaven. There's incredible worth. Even when we weren't looking for Jesus, he came and found us. Even when we weren't looking for a citizenship of another kingdom, Jesus came and he asked everyone to come and follow him. And every person can apply and every person is welcome. We can't make anyone a citizen or keep anybody out. Jesus took, or looked across the void of eternity and he decided that he would take upon himself our sin and our shame. He came to connect the spiritually disconnected with the Father. He came to give purpose and hope to the outcast. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He gives purpose. He gives abundance. He gives joy. He gives hope. The most powerful thing a person can do is kneel in humility before the king. And as soon as we do, the king takes us and he raises us and he makes us a child, a son and a daughter. The most powerful thing we can do the king no longer counts our past failures and mistakes against us. The king is kind, but he will not tolerate divided allegiance. The king will give it all, gave it all to connect with us, and he expects us to do the same. He expects us to give it all as a citizen of heaven. Let me pray for you this morning. God, this morning we are in awe that you would look at us, in awe that you would even be mindful of our suffering, of our separation from you, and that, God, all the millennia ago, you would look down on us with love and say, I will go and connect them back with the Father. God, what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago, we can never stop singing the praise. We can never stop thanking you enough for that although we were lost, you found us. Although we were blind, you gave us sight. Although, God, we were spiritually disconnected. You came and through Jesus connected us back to the Father. God, as we look through Scripture, the, the importance put on temporal things, physical things, earthly things is far less than adopting citizenship in heaven. God, through Jesus and what he did on the cross, we have the power to become sons and daughters of God. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And God, you are hope. You are a living hope. You're not dead. You're not a God. We don't serve a God who used to do. We serve a God who does. We, serve a, we don't serve a God who used to save. We serve a God who actively saves. We don't serve a God who does things for certain individuals. He actually says all are welcome. And unify us in that love and that hope. You are living. You are our living hope. And we praise you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing. Awesome. You guys can be seated.
Woo. Oh yeah. We need you need to sit down after that, right? I don't know if this ever happens to you, whether you have like a trigger that takes you somewhere else. Yeah. So I'm sitting there during worship and we started singing How Great Thou Art. Mm -hmm. And I was taken to another time. <laughs> and that was one of the first songs I learned in Spanish, Cuán Grande es el. Yeah. And I went to a place where I didn't belong, <laughs> like I didn't fit in. Yeah. I was the only blonde in the crowd. I could barely speak Spanish. And I went to a place I was 26 years old when we moved to Costa Rica, and I like I like I said I could not have been further out of belonging and fitting in. Yeah. And we were in a church where we were training, and those Christians, mm. those people, they surrounded me in love and patience, so much patience with my <laughs> Spanish, and they loved me. And, and they loved me through so much, and we cried together, and we served together, and we worshiped together, and like half the time I had no clue what was going on. And they taught me a new culture, and they, they yeah. taught me so much. And I'm like, all that came from How Great Thou Art <laughs> into another place, thinking of your message. And I, I had that opportunity to see just a little piece of heaven, of what it looks like, of people from all different backgrounds, all yeah. different languages, all different everything, coming together for one thing, yeah. the only thing that matters, and it's Jesus. I remember that one, like seven months into it, Christy came running to me, and she goes, I actually understood the whole conversation. It was yeah. like this amazing moment, and those very people who were patient that surrounded her and loved on her and, and walked her through it were the very people that she was longing to understand and communicate with, and that's awesome. And I think when we realize Jesus is the reason, it makes it so much easier. Right. Christians are known for being divisive. Let's be known for being unified. Right. Okay. Right. They thought I was shy for like a year. <laughs> They're like, we thought she was shy. They're like, Christy's so shy. I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> you don't know her. <laughs> so that being said, we're so glad you're here today. You guys have a great week here at Bethel. We exist to love and lead one another to find and follow love Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great week.